Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks, howdy, and welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This is going to be a fun episode. I had a lot of fun putting it together. And you probably don't know this, but many times I record the intros and outros after I've done the heart of the episode. That way I know what I actually talked about, you know. I don't always do that, but I did in this case. Let me just very quickly get the housekeeping out of the way. I want to say thank you. You know, a special big thank you to anyone who has visited my website at bradleylaird.com and who have purchased any of my instructional material for banjo, guitar, bass, mandolin, dulcimer, and the various bluegrass jam track collections that I've produced. It's all there at bradleylaird.com, plus a ton of free material as well. So just thanks, everybody. It makes a huge difference. It's what, uh, you know, keeps bacon in the fridge and gas in the lawnmower, as I like to say. Also, uh, you know, a big thank you to all the patrons of the show. It's a little club, and you can be in it, to kind of mess up paraphrasing uh, George Carlin. Um it's a club, and you can be in it, and all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash Bradley Laird and join your fellow supporters of the show who just chip in a little every month to keep this thing going. So let's just get right into this episode. This was a lot of fun for me. I had the opportunity to interview one of the, one of the best musicians that I have ever heard, uh, and he's a bluegrass musician. He's also a jazz musician. He's you know he can play a lot of kinds of music, but uh, I think 21 years with the band Blue Highway, playing the dobro. You know his name, Rob Ikes. And very interesting story. And you know if you listen to the Dobro Pioneers episode back half a dozen episodes ago or or ten episodes ago. I did the episode called The Dobro Pioneers. And I have a funny feeling there's a, a handful of you who listened to that and thought, you know what, maybe I'll get me a dobro. Maybe I'll learn how to play a dobro. Because it is a super cool instrument. The dobro bug bit me about oh, eight or nine years ago. And it's just so much fun. I've, I've had a blast trying to learn to play the dobro. And... The guy that we're going to hear from today, Rob Ikes, you couldn't pick a better exemplar of a super high-quality, masterful musician on the dobro. Now, I'm going to skip a long biographical rundown of Rob Ikes's, uh history and his accomplishments. You know, he's got his own Wikipedia page. That should tell you something. He's got a, you know, Grammy Awards, IBMA Awards, the number of recordings and the, the people that he has played with. It's a mind-blowing list. So we talk about some of that in this little chat that I had with him. But I would just encourage you to listen to it, even if you're not a dobro player, or maybe you don't even like the dobro, like Bill Monroe. Uh, listen to it. It's, uh, it's a fascinating story about, you know, basically a kid from California who heard the dobro and 
It just, he got the bug and he got it real bad and he became real good. And thankfully, he didn't listen to advice from some of, you know, his wiser elders who's, you know, were cautioning him, you know, about a career in music. And he took that shot and moved to Nashville. And the rest is history, as they say. And what's really cool about Rob Ikes is we're not done yet. I mean, we're not even close to done. He's still a relatively young man. He's younger than me. Uh, there's going to be a lot more good stuff coming from Rob Ike. So instead of me, uh, you know, beating this dead horse any longer, let's just listen to the little chat that I had with the master dobro player, Rob Ikes. I'm here with Rob Ikes. Welcome to Grass Talk Radio, Rob. How are you doing, man? Great to be here with you. Well, I'm doing pretty good. We did have a little storm blow through here a few days ago, but it kind of bypassed us, so we're doing good. Um, All right. Uh, where are you right now? Are you in Nashville? Yes, I live south of Nashville, about 20 miles, and uh, you know what? It's been beautiful here a lot lately. It's been just uh, clear, man. Yeah. Beautiful sky, sky yesterday, and and uh, so yeah, we're we're loving it right now. My my brother lived pretty close to there. I think he he was around Franklin. Yeah, uh, that's where I'm at. Yeah, he he finally moved down to Okeechobee, Florida. Anyway, that's that's Not... completely off off course here. But you know what's <laughs> weird about 2020, and I don't want to get into talking about the whole 2020 thing, but it has been a beautiful year in terms of weather. And just the skies and rainfall and everything. It's, it's just been a fabulous year to sit around and it, do nothing. Hey, it's true. I mean, you know, I noticed it because um, we had a great summer here in Nashville. And it's it. each summer is kind of different. It can be miserable or it can be okay or somewhere in between. And, uh, you know, usually I'm on the road most of the summer. So to be stuck at home, it was uh, it was a nice summer to be stuck at home. So I'll... I'll take that as a silver lining yeah well you get <laughs> everything you do, else you do have to find look for the good and it's kind of hard to find at times um, <laughs> anyway i'm going to hit you with a couple of questions here and uh, we'll just see where this goes um as i alluded to uh, when i was talking to you a minute ago that practically anyone with half a brain that plays bluegrass music or is a bluegrass music fan already knows the name Rob Ikes. I mean, you're a fixture in the bluegrass world these days, but just on the outside chance that someone hasn't heard of your wall full of Grammys and your IBMA awards and countless recordings and all of the people you've played with and sessions and even instructional material and all kind of stuff, just in case there's somebody who is not familiar with you I'd like to begin by saying, okay, 
how did a kid from San Francisco or the Bay Area end up interested in bluegrass and dobro in particular? How'd you get started? Well, it's a great question, and it's one that I've, especially when I first moved to Tennessee, you know, I started playing with Blue Highway, and after every show, some guy would come up and, wow, well, you know, how's a guy, how's a kid from California, you know, end up playing the dobro and getting into bluegrass, but, you know, as we all know, bluegrass is everywhere, and um, I, um, I was lucky, I was kind of surrounded by music when I was a kid, and my grandparents were really into old-time fiddle music, and my, the grandpa's side of the family on my mom's my mom's dad uh everybody played fiddle or guitar um for generations i mean the fiddle is very important he was a norwegian uh of norwegian descent grew up in north dakota and then moved to california probably in the 40s um and uh so the i was surrounded by fiddle music and i was supposed to be a fiddle player and um I never, my grandpa gave me a lesson when I was seven and I still remember it. And then he gave me a fiddle to take home and I just never even took it out of the case. It was, it was <laughs> funny. I just, you know, I liked music, but I just wasn't that interested in it or the fiddle anyway. Right. And then just a few years later, I think when I was 12, um, I heard Mike Aldridge play. Uh, I heard a recording of his first album and my, if you don't know, Mike Aldridge, he was one of the greats on the instrument, just passed away a few years ago, but right. um, very you know, he's on the Mount Rushmore of Dobro players for sure. Yeah, and I, I don't mean to interrupt you here. We're going to pick right back up. But I did an episode back about maybe six or eight episodes ago called the Dobro Pioneers. So the audience has already got a, oh, great. a decent picture of that Mount Rushmore with about, uh, <laughs> figure there's eight guys up there. Anyway, so, you know, everybody at least has heard some of these, these Dobro Pioneers that you're talking yeah. about right now. Yeah, Mike did a lot. I tell people, you know, playing, when you play a musical instrument, there's a part of it that's kind of like a puzzle. You go back to every day and you try to put some more pieces of the puzzle together. And Mike put a lot of the pieces together for the rest of us that came after him. And so, um, you know, something about him and his music just really struck a chord, you know, in, in me. And when I heard his first record, it just blew my mind. It got me so excited deep deep down you know like what am i here i couldn't his music just made me feel great you know um, do, do you recall what that album was was it a seldom seen thing or was it one of his solo things it's his first solo album and it's aptly called dobro mike aldridge dobro right i and, think um, i played a sample from that on that particular episode well it's funny after all these years you know and and of course mike and i were friends and we hang out whenever playing the same festival or whatever and 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 then we did a record together with jerry douglas a few years ago called the three bells and um, we really got to spend some good quality time together just the three of us and then even before we started recording i was working in maryland and uh stopped by mike's house one day and we hung out for like six hours and played music and i picked his brain a lot about that first record because that record just means so much to me and found out a lot you know about it and how it came together and um and the engineer that recorded his name's george massenberg and he went on to become you know one of the most famous recording engineers in the world you know he did all of linda ronstadt stuff and a lot of emmy lou harris um 
Little Feet, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. I think he's a man. He invented uh, graphic EQ. Oh, that's interesting. So, yeah, yeah. And so he really, I mean, you could, that record holds up very well today, I guess I'd just say, as far as, you know, the playing, obviously, but the mixes and the recording quality, it's just a sad record has a sound. Yeah, it it is um, a beautiful record. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, as I got older, um, I found out that, you know, that record turned a lot of people on to not just the Dobro, but just music, you know, and Mike and the Seldom Scene had a huge impact on on this music. You know, they brought so many people into the music that weren't that weren't into it before, you know, because they brought an urban thing to the to bluegrass where they did these great covers of james taylor or merle haggard or bob dylan you know yeah and of course um, they hit their bill monroe stuff too you know yeah yeah and it was a great mix and um and i think just of their location you know they played in dc for you know they played all over the world but their headquarters was dc and they played uh, the Birchmere every Thursday night for years and years and years. And so they, I've spoken to a lot of people who went there on a business trip or whatever, and some locals say, oh, you got to come, you got to come see the seldom scene. It's a tradition, you know, Thursday night. <laughs> and people would go and just get their minds absolutely blown. And uh, they would, I know people that started bluegrass festivals <laughs> because they, they were in DC and right. happened to, you right. know, catch a seldom scene set. So anyway, you know, those guys turned a lot of people on to music and bluegrass music and acoustic music. Uh, so anyway, I guess I was one of those, you know, that uh, kind of fell under the spell of, of, of that, that music. And, and I went from Mike Alt from that first solo album to listening to seldom scene records. And then I got into Tony Rice and, you know, J.D. Crow, David Grisman, and, you know, just kind of spread out from there. But yeah, uh, let me let me backtrack you a little bit here. So when you found Mike Aldridge, did you already have a dobro and were trying to learn to play it and knew what it was? Or were you like, what is that thing? Or how did you actually get started with who handed you your first dobro and, you know, that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I had went, so my older brother uh, was playing the banjo. Uh And so he, around this time, I was 11 or 12, he was bringing these Flat Scruggs records, Jimmy Martin records home. And I went, wow, man, that's cool. Um, And I really liked listening, you know, to, to those bands and those records. And I feel like I was kind of getting primed, you know, and then, and then, <laughs> so I went to my first bluegrass festival um, at Grass Valley, which is a very well-known festival in California, Grass Valley, California, right. still going on today, been going on for many years. And, um, you know, I saw some great bands, but it was more of the jamming that got me excited, you know, and um, seeing people play music and, of course, I'd been around it my whole life, but there was something about the energy of bluegrass that that caught grabbed onto me more than maybe the fiddle music I had grown up listening to. And um, so then on the way home from there, I had this distinct memory. You know, my brother put in a tape of Mike Aldridge's first Mike Aldridge's first album, Dobro, that we were talking about. Right. Okay. And I went, "What in the heck is that?" You know, I I'm gonna do that. <laughs> and I mean, I really it was like a lightning bolt. And I just kept listening to that record. But as soon as we got home from the festival, my brother actually had been fooling with Dobro. Of course, we didn't have a Dobro, but he took my 
Tom's old K guitar. <laughs> right. And he stuck a pen under the strings at the first fret to raise the strings up so you could lay a bar on it and right. play. Right. And uh, he gave me some picks and he had a bar already also. So I started playing literally, literally that day. And, um, and then my folks said, well, if you stick with it, we'll get you a quote, you know, a real dobro. Right. And, um, you know, after a couple of months, they saw how into it I was. And so they, we went to San Francisco and bought a, uh, bought a new dobro in 19, I, this was in 1980. So okay. I remember my first dobro was a 1979 model 60 D, yep. which is, was their Josh Graves model, I believe, but it's a great guitar. I still have it. And, um, and so that's that's how I got got on this path. So were you um, just sorting it out on your own by listening to the records, or did you get the benefit well, of any lessons or anything like I, that? I was extremely lucky. Um, so I mentioned my grandparents were very musical, and they had a campground that they owned up in Northern California, in the middle of nowhere, up in the redwoods, Humboldt County, if you know where. Uh, that's where all the pot comes from, you know. <laughs> it used to be where all the gold came from, wasn't it? Uh, no, I think the gold what? was more up by Sacramento, up in ah, okay. This is Northern California. Um, not really far from the coast, actually, about 20 miles inland um, on the Eel River, if anybody knows where that is. And um, there, so I mean, this is the middle of nowhere, man. I mean, it's like 200 miles north of San Francisco, um, you know, five hour drive crazy isolated and there was a little town called garberville nearby and my grandma I, she had a big mouth that she was kind of, <laughs> she was she was uh she was she was entertaining anyway she she just went into town and there was a little a little music store called the singing salmon because the salmon is big up there yeah. um and uh, and so she just went in and asked around, you know, she asked everybody she knew and, and, and she went into this music store. My grandson's, you know, starting to play Dobro, uh, you know, <laughs> looking for somebody to give him some lessons. And the guy, oh, yeah, there's a guy in town. Yeah, let's see, here's his number, you know. She calls this guy and he comes out to the campground once a week all summer, you know, wow. and writes out, writes out tablature for me. And he's a great player. His name's Ron Stanley. And he's still going. He's up in Oregon now, um, but uh, I, I get to see him every once in a while. He was very good with me, you know, very patient. And like I said, I, I, in fact, I just found the old tablature music that he wrote for me when I first started. Wow, that's neat. And he wrote little notes, you know, do this a hundred times, you know, and right. work on this every day. And uh, and he, he teases me. He says... Uh, you know, I would call him after a couple of days. I'd say, okay, I need some more. I, I learned that. Give me some more stuff. <laughs> so, you know, he was going to come out, you know, once or twice that summer. And then he had to come out every week pretty much because I, I was just ready for it and soaking it up, you know. But, yeah, he got me got me off to a great start. And then after that, I was pretty much self-taught and, you know, pretty much learned by ear once I could pick stuff up off records, you know. So Yeah, what what's the guy's name again, your teacher? Ron Stanley. Ron Stanley. I'll bet he is extremely proud of you and well, probably brags a lot on, you know, I gave that kid his first lesson. Well, he done a good job. So <laughs> he I did. Let him, I tell people if they can get any value out of dropping my name, just go for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, let's now fast forward a little bit at you were probably what, 24, 25 when you 
threw everything in a car and drove to Nashville. That was what'd you go there? Exactly. Ninety two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So at that point, what were you thinking? And well, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, to move from California to Nashville was like going to the moon, you know, right. and because um, I was into it and I played with some good people, but there really isn't a whole lot going on out in California as far as gigs or festivals. I mean, there's some, but, you know, the work prospect, prospects, especially for this instrument anywhere are going to be few and far between, but especially out there. And, um, and of course, you know, everything I knew was out there. So I wanted to move to Nashville, but it was a big step. And so I kept, I thought about it for several years, but I didn't do it. And I had gone to college out there and um, was playing a lot locally and with a lot of people out there. Um, and then um, Allison Krauss had heard me, and she uh, hired me to play on a record by the Cox family, their first album on Rounder. And it's um, great. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Everybody's reaching out for someone. Yep. And so, um, so I flew out, and you know, just had a blast. I mean, the you know, of course, the musicians were great. The studio was great. Everything was great. I got to hear the Grand Ole Opry for the first time, and. Um, mm -hmm. And so that just, it pushed me over the edge. I guess it made, it just made me, I got to do this. You know, it was nice. I could kind of, I guess I didn't know what Nashville was like. Like I said, when you grow up in California, Nashville just seems like another planet. And I think that just having that little push helped me just say, okay, I'm doing this for sure. Cause this was a blast. And um, so I moved out, I guess a year, a year later, something like that. Um, and um yeah and then you know was fortunate to get real busy after that i mean the first year i moved here i played on um another cox family and allison record a gospel album called uh, i know who holds tomorrow and then i also got invited to play on the great dobro sessions right. uh, and both both those records won Grammys that year. So I was like, okay, I like this. <laughs> this is cool. Yeah, that was um, actually my next question. You talk about the, the great Dobro sessions. Could you expand on that a little bit? You are the youngest player on that record. Yeah, I mean, I had just, like I said, I had just moved to Nashville. And I remember I went to a taping of the American Music Shop because um, Allison and the Cox family were on there. And I was just hanging out. But um, And I met Jerry Douglas when I was 17, and he was always super nice to me. And, um, you know, recommended me for gigs and, and just just was all and he's still we're, we're we're really good friends. And he's, he's my one of my main musical heroes, you know. Um, so anyway, I somebody told me that he was going to do this record with all these Dobro players, and they said he was going to ask me to be on it. And so I, th I remember talking to him at that show, and he um, he's like, yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to do this. you know. But he was very noncommittal and didn't really tell me much, or maybe he didn't really know what he was doing uh, at that point. you know. Uh, but then, yeah, he called me shortly after and asked me to be, be on it, and I was like, heck, yeah. And... Um, <laughs> So it's fun to go to the studio and, you know, meet Josh Graves and Brother Oswald. I mean, it it had every Dobro player of note from the first one, which I think of Brother Oswald as the first Dobro player of note. Uh, and to me, I was the youngest one. And so, yeah, what a thrill. Yeah, there I were mean, a bunch of good ones. Gene Wooten, wasn't he on there? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love Lutton, his Josh plan. Graves, Sally Tut. Van Meter, Stacey Phillips, Tut. Mike Aldridge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was in heaven. Well, so well Tut, was... Tut Taylor was a co-producer on that, wasn't he? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. It's great to me. And again, I had just moved to town. I think I'd met Mike Aldridge once or twice. I probably hadn't really met them other guys before, so I was I was in heaven, man. I was loving it. Yeah, that's cool. Well, let me just say to the listeners, I highly recommend that anyone buy and listen to the Great Dobro Sessions. Fabulous stuff. And that was was not that sort of an idea that didn't that follow that mandolin extravaganza thing that that uh, Ronnie McCurry put together. Wasn't I it don't kind of like maybe I got my times and records mixed up, but anyway, that thing yeah, is great. Okay, yeah, yeah, I don't even remember that one, but uh, this was... This it was, was essentially the same thing. It was like 10 mandolin players all got, you know, all played, yeah. and Dell played rhythm for everybody. And that oh, was very the record. cool. Very yeah. cool, very cool. Uh, hey, let's, let's uh, switch gears just a little bit. Um, you have done a lot of teaching at workshops and camps and even instructional material that's out there that's been out there for a while. And you've got this thing, the Rezo Summit. Just, I don't know, tell folks a little bit about some of that experience and how, how the Rezo Summit gets started and that kind of stuff. Well, like you were just saying, mandolin extravaganza, um, I think at some point, you know, I had taught at a lot of camps all over the country. I mean, all over internationally also. And, um, and there was a mandolin camp going on out in California, and it was started by a friend of mine named Steve Rufo. He's also very involved in winter grass. And him and David Grisman and Mike Marshall, I think, or maybe, oh. it, was, maybe it was Steve and Mike. Or no, I think it was the three of those guys kind of, kind of did it together. And I thought, and that was the first camp I'd heard of where it was all one instrument. And I thought, uh, well, maybe not the first one, but that was the first one where it was kind of artist driven. In other words, you know, Mike and, and David had a lot to do with the camp, I believe. And, uh, and I thought, well, that's cool. I mean, why can't I do that? You know, right. and um, for the Dobro and, um, but of course there's a lot of reasons why I couldn't do that. Cause I don't, I don't have all those organizational skills, you know, or the time uh, to put something like that together. But I started, thinking about, well, maybe there's somebody that would like to do that part of it, you know, right. and we could, I could work with somebody. And um, I had this friend from um, California named Betty Wheeler, and I didn't know her that well, but she had taken a lot of, you know, come to a lot of camps that I taught at, like Rocky Grass and uh, Winter Grass and, you know, some of the kind of week-long or, or several-day camps before these big festivals. And I just really liked her, and she I could tell she was really on the ball and very well organized. And so I ran into her at IBMA around this time at the IBMA convention, and I just said, hey, I got this idea. Um, I just want to know, would you be interested in working on something like this with me? And she got very excited, and by the end of the day, she had sent me some possible locations and budgets, you know, and yeah. Uh, yeah. Cost, cost analysis and all that stuff, and what what year it. was the first one? So I think we just had year fifteen. Okay. Uh, so oh five, oh six, something. Like yeah. That. So I'd say oh five ish. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And, you know, we've been really fortunate. We sell out every year, like in a minute, you know, as soon as we put it up for sale, it sells out and we've never done any advertising or anything. So um, it's just at this point, it's kind of like a family reunion. You know, we have a lot of a lot of repeat customers because people just they, they got to have it, you know. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. But but I think it's, you know, of course, all these camps are going to be special. But but to me, this one is a little more special, not because of anything we do, but because the instrument is, you know, it's just still kind of obscure and, and not as well known as, say, the banjo or the guitar or the mandolin. And so when you get all these people together, they're just so excited to talk to other people that know about Mike Aldridge, know about, you know, Bashful Brother Oswald. And just this community has sprung up, you know, we have over 100 people come from all over the world. I mean, we got people coming from New Zealand and Ireland and Sweden and um, all over the world. Um, so it's uh, pretty amazing. And you can go to rezosummit.com if you want to find out more about it. Of course, we didn't have it this year because of the virus, but uh, hopefully we'll be back next year. It's usually in November. And, um, you know, if anybody wants to come, just check it out online. You can, you can find out more about it. And there's a lot of great pictures up there from past years. Um, and it's funny, you know, because, well, about a year ago in October, uh, we launched a teaching website called uh, BigMusicTent.com. Yeah. And um, that's been another way to sort of um, where I can share, you know, my knowledge of the dobro and music and recording and whatever. You know, I, I love I love this website format because we can do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it, you know, and, and we can even, you know, we ask our members, what are you all interested in right now? You know, okay, well, let's do a class on that or let's do a video on that. And so anyway, so it just kind of continues online. And, um, you know, we started this before the virus, but, uh, you know, I'm glad it's up. And I think, I think a lot of people have, uh, really enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, again, it's a little more wide open. We can talk about lap steals. We can talk about Mike Aldridge. We can talk about capos or whatever. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so the and every everything we add just adds. You know, we got hours and hours of videos on there already, and it's just gonna grow and grow and grow. Well, so let anyway, me ask you, is it organized like a subscription site? Like you you know, like sign up and pay so much a month and you're in, or, or is it like you just kind of, you know, a la carte, get what you want or how have you organized it? Yeah. At this point it's subscription. And so, yeah. um, you can do a monthly or a quarterly or a yearly or whatever you want to do. And, um, yeah, you just log in and then you have access to everything. And there's also an ask Rob page where people can, send me questions directly and I'll reply via video or if it just needs a, a typed answer, I'll do that. Just kind of whatever we want to do. Um, and we'll probably do some live events in the future. And, um, but it is, it, it's just really fun. And the guy, so uh, uh, Craig, Craig Spinney is my business partner with this website and he's a dobro player, great musician, plays a lot of, a lot of instruments. And he um, he has a lot of TV experience, and so we uh, so he's been great with all the camera work and everything, and figuring yeah, all that out. And we have an excellent um, website developer, Joe Ickes. Um, and so, and then we have another. There's probably 
four or five people kind of on our team and um, it's a great group of people and like Craig said recently to one of our members um, it's a uh, it's a love letter to the Dobro you know yeah um, and so but again I like the website format because we can just do whatever we want to do you know we can put up videos we can link I love the, I've got some bootlegs of, you know, the seldom scene or Jerry Douglas or whatever. And right. I'll put those, put those up. I just kind of get to share everything I love about the instrument and, um, and bluegrass and jazz and blues and, you know, um, so it's just kind of a fun, fun little world that we're creating. And so, yeah, if y'all are interested, just go to bigmusictent.com. And, uh, and check it out. And there's some free lessons there on the, on the welcome page. And, um, yeah, you could just Google it and, and you'll, you'll find us. Yeah. I went over there and poked around just a little bit looking at it. And, uh, I got the Dobro bug. Of course, I, I've been playing since 75 and, okay. but I didn't play a Dobro. I was, I just wanted to be a banjo player. That's all I wanted to do. And then I ended up as a mandolin player in the, late 70, like 79. Mm-hmm. And basically 40 years of being a mandolin player and a closet banjo player and a closet bass player. You know, in a clo- you know how b- bluegrass people are. They, you know, everybody plays yes. guitar. We all, we all play bass. I played the same, <laughs> uh, like the same four fiddle tunes for 40 years. Never, yes. never got any better, you know. But <laughs> back about 10 years ago when... I left the band I was in and you're, this is probably the one thing that you and I have in common and you briefly touched on it was you spent over two decades with the same band blue highway. And I, I did 27 years in the band I was in. So, Oh my God. Takes wow, a certain, okay. That's probably the only thing we have in common. Um, other than love for bluegrass, but about 10 years ago when I left that band and I moved away from Atlanta, um, I got the Dobro bug and I, I bought myself a Dobro and set out to learn and, you know, total beginner did, I didn't, I'd been around a lot of Dobro players. You know, you're playing bluegrass, you're going to run into these Dobro players. Mm-hmm. I never had the urge to play it until I actually got one in my lap. And I, I got one of these uh, Crafters of Tennessee Tut Taylor model, the mahogany one, and I started fooling with this thing. And it's just almost consuming me now. It's like this all I think about is this, this stupid Dobro, you know? So maybe well, I need to go to your site and get in there too. Oh, yes. It's we fun will. to be a beginner again, though, you know? Although I have well, to admit, I've been able to apply a lot of things that I know about music and, you know, Certainly my banjo playing helped me kind of get the geography a little better, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think they're very similar instruments, the banjo and the dobro. I've always thought that because the tuning is so similar and the playing with finger picks, of course, and the the sound is kind of similar, you know? Yeah, it certainly can be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, it's funny. Like, that's something I've been thinking about doing a, a... lesson on for my website is that beginner mindset that you talked about because i've been you know my my gig now is with uh, trey hensley and we have a duo we, we do a lot of band shows too but primarily it's just the two of us yeah. and so i'm singing a lot more than i ever have and it's a higher range than i normally sing and so i've been really working on it a lot and just like getting in that beginner mindset i mean it's 
humiliating a little bit, you know, in your <laughs> own mind, um, yeah. because you just, you know, you're used to being able to do, do all this stuff right, musically. Right. And I'm just realizing that, you know, I don't have frets that high in my voice, you know, and so I've got to learn, I've got to get my voice in shape to, uh, know where those notes are. But I love the beginner mentality that it you you just have to become totally aware of stuff like you haven't had to become aware of stuff in a long time. So I feel like it's helped my dobro playing actually. Um, yeah, you can and, simulate that feeling by the way just by if you're righty, uh, just turn the instrument around, play left-handed, or try to <laughs> yeah. play, and suddenly you have to think about everything and you can't do anything. And well, it's it'll funny. Remind I, you of what it felt I, like. I remember when I was a kid, and it seemed like when I was in high school or out of high school, and I was thinking about playing for a living, I got a lot of pushback, you know, from eh, some family or friends, you know, older older family or friends. Uh, you know. Right, right. Trying to steer you right. Well, yeah. everybody, I think, yeah, they, I think they're they're. Um, you should consider being an accountant or. Yeah, something like that. yeah, and and. You can always and, play music on the weekends. Well, I think they, they, yeah, they didn't, and they didn't appreciate, you know, maybe my passion or my talent for it. And I wanted to just, just have them give them a dobro and just say, I know you think I'm just fooling around, but go just try and make some kind of music on this thing for me. And I think that they would have had a lot more respect, you know, for what it takes to be a musician. I mean, I'm proud to be a musician. I'm proud of, uh, I'm really proud that I've been able to make a living at it. You know? Well, you should that's be. A, You've got a lot well, of a lot of plaques on the wall. I'm guessing. You well, know? I mean, it's that's like, a whole. You've earned to, them, though. Well, yeah, but I mean, to make a living at it is a whole other skill set. You right. know, I mean, I know right. I know a lot of talented people here in Nashville, and you know, most of them you'll never hear of, or they don't work a lot because there's other things involved. You know, yep. um, and so you got to figure that stuff out too. Um, so, um, uh, what was I going to say about that? But, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, 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 it takes, it, it takes a lot to communicate something musically. I mean, it takes years and years and years to communicate an emotion or a picture or a melody. And, you know, that's what I love about living in Nashville is, you will get to work with people who are just as excited as you are about music, you know, like yeah. every day. And so I've never, I've never gone, ah, I wish I was playing with somebody else or I wish I was in a different area. You know, I'm always going, Oh man, I'm totally inspired by that fiddle player that I did a session with yesterday. You know, yeah, I'm going to go yeah. work on my craft some more. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, I feel very fortunate, you know, to, to have been able to do this for so long. Well, look, I was going to ask you also about, you know, what what instruments are you playing now and mics and gear and all this kind of stuff. But I think I'm going to skip that because I think they could do that over at your site in the Ask Rob area. And well, yes. Let me say one thing, though, as far as instruments, because I've got a new guitar that I've been playing for about a year and I'm really excited about it. Um this guy's name is Burl Murdoch, B-Y-R-L, and you can go to burlguitars.com. And he's in Indiana, and okay. uh, I was te- teaching at a camp last year, 
and one of my students had one of his guitars and I could tell it was a great guitar the way she was playing it. And I asked her after the second day of class, hey, can I play that guitar? She said, yeah. And it was one of the best dobros I'd ever played, you know? So um, we got in touch and I met him at IBMA last year and, and he gave me, um, you know, a couple of guitars and we became great friends. And um, I'm, I'm a big fan of his work. Um, so check out Burl Guitars. I've also played Tim Shearhorn's guitars for 30 years, and yeah. he's, you know, just incredible. And I'm still playing his guitars, but um, but I've been playing this Burl guitar a lot. And uh, so anyway, Burl's he's a little bit he's been building for probably five or six years. So I just want to tell people about him, help him get more known because I'm really impressed with his workmanship. He is doing some great work. Yeah, that is really cool. If you get a chance, well, I'll, I'll I'll go online and find it, find a link to his his site and put it in the show notes too. And by oh, the way, great. to the listeners, I'm going to everything that Rob has mentioned, the websites and all that stuff will all be on the show notes page and in the description. You know, everybody oh, that Thank listens you. knows where all that stuff is. So, awesome. you know, when you go to Apple Podcasts, there's going to be a little description and we'll put the links right in there. Well, look, I have so much enjoy talking to you and i know that if we had the time we could probably knock out eight hours just <laughs> getting stories i mean when i looked at your bio there was a lot of stuff there that i was unaware of i mean you know people you've played with and all this stuff and i thought maybe the question i'd like to end this with is maybe when you first got to nashville let's let's imagine you're you're then what is the thing what is the one thing that in your wildest dreams at that time say 92 that you just absolutely assumed that would never happen but <laughs> but it did happen what's that big thing that even surprised you like you know what what is well it? i'd say two things okay um, hit me with the two. first the first would be, you know, I got to work with David Lee Roth from Van Halen, you know, a few years ago. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that one. That's, that's I, and that's I crazy. wasn't either. I was not either. Um, and that was that was a lot of fun. Um, what did you do? What what? Well, um, you know, so I played on a lot of these albums. They're called, you know, like picking on Eric Clapton right, right. or picking on so and so. And so that record label is CMH out of Los Angeles, yeah, okay. I believe. And they put out a bunch of those. And then they, they said they wanted to do a uh, Van Halen tribute album, but they wanted to do it better. They, not just instrumentals. They wanted to have bands. And um, and so they had David Grisman and Blue Highway did a song and, um, you know, some really good people. Yeah. And then uh, John Callen uh, was singing a few songs, of course, from the New Grass Revival, you know, the bass yeah. player. And so I was hired to play on his songs. And then they were going to send one of them to David Lee Roth. I think he has a sister or some family member maybe that works at this record label. And so he flipped out and just loved the tracks and he wanted to sing on some more. And so he ended up singing on three or four of them. And then when the record came out, he's like, let's do some stuff, you know? So we did, you know, Leno and, Conan O'Brien and David Letterman, I think, um, and uh, a bunch of stuff. We did The View, a bunch of TV stuff, promotional yeah. things. And he was such a great guy to work with. You know, and actually those tracks came out really good. They were mixed by Bob Clearmountain, who did all the original Van Halen stuff. I mean, he's one of the, again, talking about engineers, he's one of the most famous engineers on the planet. 
Uh, so it's a great record, actually. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. And and the other the other blew blew my mind. The artist that blew my mind that I got to work with was Merle Haggard, and uh, yeah. he was always my favorite artist. And he was, uh, you know, my grandpa's favorite artist, you know. And um, so when I got the call to, you know, Merle was coming to Nashville to do a bluegrass album, and I got the call to play on it, and I was telling the producer, I was like, is he going to be there? You know, like, is right, this for right. real? Or are we just going to cut some tracks and he'll add his vocals later? He said, no, man, he's going to be there. He's looking forward to playing with you guys, blah, blah, blah. And so that was the best two days. And we just sat in a circle. Yeah, that's and, called the Bluegrass uh, Sessions, right? Yeah, 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 it's a great record. I uh, hope everybody checks that out. And there's some YouTube stuff from that record recording session also. Yeah. So that was great. And then a couple of days later, um, his, uh, his manager called me and said, Merle wants you to come out to California and record some more with them. And I was like, Oh, are you kidding me? And so, uh, ended up going out there like three times, I guess, three or four times over the next few years. And, um, and yeah, the last thing Merle said to me when I left his house the last time, I said, I love you, Rob. And I said, love you too. So that's, I never thought Merle Haggard, I never thought I'd be on, those kind of terms with Merle, you know. Yeah, so that's felt, pretty cool because millions of people have thought, man, I love Merle Haggard, but not many people have had it come the other direction. You know, that's really <laughs> super cool. Yeah, yeah. So those those would be the two mind blowers, I guess, of my career. Well, since you mentioned those, I, I, I have to wonder too, so you got to Nashville while Bill Monroe was still around. Did you ever jam with Bill Monroe? You know, I didn't. I feel like I played the Opry a few times when he was on and, you know, definitely did a lot of festivals where he was at. Right. Um, but I never did get to play with him. Well, no. you know, he wasn't a super fan of the Dobro. I, there's that old joke that goes around that, you know, he said it sounded like an old tin bucket. You know? Yeah, that's and that's and that's a quote. I mean, that's a. <laughs> I, that is an actual quote because I've heard the recording where he says that. I'll oh, have you? It. That's cool. I love it. Love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Flat Scruggs have something to do with his. Yeah, of course. Dope, bro. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, look, man, I have thoroughly enjoyed this, and I know the audience is digging this immensely. If you don't mind, we should come back maybe in the spring, you know, before things get busy, and uh, maybe revisit some of these things and find out what else is going on, and you know, that would come back. That would be. Hit it another be, lick, you know? Yeah, that would be fun. Enjoyed speaking with you. And, um, and yeah, you all take care. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening. And, yeah, looking forward to getting back out there in the real world and, and playing music for you all. Yeah, and I, I'm wishing the same thing. I've, I've had two gigs this year, one in March and one last Saturday. So maybe things, <laughs> maybe we have turned the corner, as I've heard somebody say. Maybe, maybe we have. I sure hope so. <laughs> me too me too wishing everybody the best all right rob you take care buddy all right thanks a lot brad okay bye folks i hope you enjoyed that interview there with rob He's a really nice guy. A lot of stories and stuff. 
you know, I know we could do many, many hours of, uh, you know, just hearing him tell stories of things he has encountered and people he's played with and things like that. Do go to his website, robikes.com, or go over if you want to learn to play that dobro, you know, order you one off uh, eBay or Amazon or something, uh, and go check out his website over at bigmusictent.com. And, uh, he will show you how to play that old hubcap guitar. Y'all take care. I got some weird stories to tell you, but I'm going to save them for, for the next episode. Don't want to spoil Rob's beautiful interview uh, with the crazy story of the dog attacking, not my dog, a neighbor's dog, a pack of dogs attacking one of my neighbors. So I'll tell you that thing in the next episode. Y'all take care. Be safe. Keep picking that bluegrass. Oh, by the way, last thing, I played a gig last Saturday. Hard to believe, ain't it? crazy. I actually had a gig last Saturday. We had a blast. It was so much fun to just play like it's the old normal. That's the way we did it. You know, dragging the PA, playing bluegrass for three hours. It was fun. Anyway, I'll tell you about that too and the dog attack and the whole deal. A lot of weird stuff been happening. We had a hurricane blow through here. It pretty much missed us, but we had, you know, a lot going on here. Um, anyway, I'll catch up with you on the on the what's happening around the old farm here in the next episode. But y'all take care. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. Sweet Anne Marie, she's my heart's delight. The second one is prison, babe, and the sheriff's on my trail. And if he catches up with me, I'll spend my life in jail. I got a wife and Chino, babe, and one in Cherokee. The first one said she's got my child, but it don't look like me.